welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode number 31. Welcome back. You know, with the holidays, it really feels like I've been gone for weeks. You know, I felt like that I've been separated from the sterile processing world. But, I, you know, I guess that's what vacations are for, right? To, to get away, to separate yourself a little bit from what you do. Well, anyway, I'm glad to be back. And if you feel the same way, welcome back to the show. Today on the show, we have Alpa Patel speaking with us. Alpa is an expert in validation and is going to talk to us about validation and verification. But before we get to Alpa, let's get the show started with What's On My Mind. Today in What's On My Mind, I'm talking about the different ISHM certifications. So let's get started by looking at each of the certifications individually. Well, first, and probably the most recognizable of the ISHM certifications is the Certified Registered Central Service Technician, or the CRCST. Now, this certification program is really designed to recognize the entry level and the existing technicians who demonstrate a baseline knowledge, a baseline of experience, and the skills necessary to really provide that competent uh, central service technician. This certification really serves as the baseline for any sterile processing professional. And then the next certification is what we call the Certified Instrument Specialist or the CIS. So this certification really is a secondary certification. Now that means that this certification builds on the CRCST, that core certification. And this certification is designed to recognize individuals that have demonstrated the experience, the knowledge and skills that are really necessary to provide an instrument specialist in sterile processing. And then for those of you looking to advance your career and improve on those leadership skills, ISHM offers the Certified Healthcare Leader, the CHL. Again, this is another secondary certification, and it's designed to recognize individuals that have demonstrated the management and supervisory skills necessary to provide really effective leadership in sterile processing. And then the last certification, uh, and this is a standalone certification. And what does that mean? That means that you don't need the CRCST to sit for this exam. It is a certified endoscope reprocessor or the CER certification. 
Again, you don't need the CRCST to sit for this exam. And this certification, really the goal is to recognize individuals that have demonstrated knowledge and skills that are really necessary and they apply to pre-cleaning, testing, decontamination, the inspecting, of course, disinfecting and sterilizing, transport and storage of endoscopes, and all that in accordance with the industry standards, guidelines, and regulations. So all of these are great certifications, and really, uh, Isham has brought something for pretty much everyone, depending on where you're at in your career, which is great. Today, I want to talk, why is certification so important? Well, I think the, probably the most obvious is if you live in a state where the, uh, you are required certification, well, then it's self-explanatory. And, you know, certification's important, at least that baseline certification. The other, in my opinion, really is to raise the level of our profession. So I have a quick story for you, so bear with me. Before my career started in sterile processing, uh, many of you... Uh, may know that I was a surgical technologist. I was trained in the military and I had served as a scrub technician for uh, approximately three years uh, after my training was complete. And then I served a total of five years of service in the military. Well, after that military uh, service, I got a job, as you would expect as a surgical technologist, but I was not certified. In my opinion, I was pretty good at my job, not trying to brag, but uh, like a lot of you out there, I couldn't wrap my head around why I would want to waste my time and my money and get certified. Again, I had a job, you know, and I was good at it, right? Well, certification at the time, I felt was not really going to make me any better at what I did. I had been doing this for years and no one cared if I was certified or if I wasn't. In fact, in my position, I was training nurses and I was training certified technicians. And again, I wasn't certified. So why in the world would I need to get certified if I was doing all of these things? Well, I will concede that getting certified is not necessarily going to make you instantly better at your job. Okay. Um, one day I found myself kind of, uh, looking at another position, right? And so I went through that interview process or the application process. Um, when I was in the interview, one of the questions they asked me was, was I certified? And of course, you know, the answer is no. Uh, they asked me another question. It was, how did I keep up with changes in the industry? Honestly, I didn't really have a good answer for that. You know, I couldn't really answer that question very well. Uh, at the end of the interview, they bluntly told me that I wasn't going to move forward. I was not going to move forward in the interview process uh, because of uh, a couple things. One, because they used certification as kind of a measure 
or a baseline knowledge for the position. And two, certification forces individuals to keep up with skills and knowledge uh, within that profession, right? So uh, they, they told me it really had nothing to do with me as a person, but they wanted to know that I was able to meet minimum skills for the job. And really for them, the best way to do that was to measure those skills through certification. And since I didn't have certification, you know, I, I, they weren't going to give me a second thought. Well, for me and my personality, that really pretty much convinced me. That was all I needed to know to, to convince me to get certified. You know, I didn't ever want anyone to ever look down on me again, right? That was a horrible feeling to have these folks tell me, you're not good enough, even though I knew I was. Again, I was great at my job, but without that certification to prove it, to prove that I possess the skills, you know, it was just saying it was, it's just up to me. It was my word against theirs that I knew what I was doing, right? So I took that realization. I got certified as a scrub tech. And before I got my first job in sterile processing, you guessed it, I got certified. At that point, you know, I didn't have to get certified, but I wanted to. I wanted people to know that I had the skills to pay the bills and I could prove it. Now, unless your state uh, requires certification, then getting certified is completely up to you and your situation. But for me, there's a point in which I had to decide, am I going to just stay the same mediocre self or am I going to advance my career and start moving forward? And for me, certification allowed me to do just that to increase my professional knowledge and to move forward in my career. So with that, that's all I have for you today in this segment of What's On My Mind. Our guest speaker today is Alpa Patel. Alpa is a certified microbiologist and has been part of the medical device industry for 17 years, specializing in cleaning, disinfection, and sterilization of reusable medical devices, endoscopes, and validation of tissue disinfection or sterilization processes. Her current role as principal scientist at Nelson involves overseeing test method validations for reprocessing, writing standard test protocols, and standard operating procedures for reprocessing and other internal and global related documents, providing technical consulting for reprocessing sections at Nelson Laboratories globally. She is a member and collaborator with the American Standards Test Methods, ASTM, American Association of Tissue Banks, AATB, and the American Association of Medical Instruments, as we know as AMI, and last, the International Organization for Standardization, ISO. Thank you, Alpa, for joining me on the Process This podcast. Thank you for having me. Some terms that often get confused in sterile processing are the terms validation and verification. Can you explain to our listeners really the differences between the two terms, validation and verification? 
Absolutely. These terms are often misunderstood. Often verification and validations are used interchangeably. However, they are independent procedures that are used to check, in this case, a product or procedure requirement that fulfills this intended purpose. In this case, we're talking about reprocessing reusable medical devices. So the terms are very clear when it comes to what they each mean. When I'm talking about validation, we're talking about validation as a process where you're testing predetermined specifications, such as the acceptance criteria for the performance of the device against reprocessing procedures, which are your ISU, that you can ensure that the process will consistently result in the same way every time you do it. Therefore, they do require replicate special controls to ensure accuracy of the data obtained. So it is a very tight and very well-defined process. However, when you look at the verification end of it, verification is a process where you already have these predetermined specifications, and that is derived from the validation itself. And you are verifying that it still complies. Verifications are usually used by the users from the validations that third-party laboratories have performed when they're performing cleaning tests and processing devices. So they do go hand in hand. However, they are two different processes with two different controls and two different limitations and specifications for each one. So what types of devices does your company validate? That's a good question. We test a wide variety of devices in our healthcare reprocessing departments. We have seen robotic devices to orthopedic, dental, ENT, which is ear, nose, throat devices, rigid to flexible endoscope, dialysis machines, equipment that we process instruments or devices like AERs, home care devices. We've seen these a lot in the market right now and for validation, such as breast pumps, bottle sanitizers, glucose meters. And in the last few years, we have had many, many non-critical devices we have tested. Um, these group into keyboards, surgical lights, computer screens, footstools, wheelchairs, anything you can think of, we have probably validated at some point. When you talk about reusable medical devices, when you have anything that is considered a reusable product, we probably have validated those products or at least seen them at some point in our lifetime to validate the hot topic right now are non-critical devices, which is a gray zone in our industry, and how do we process them and validate them? So we've seen tons and tons of devices. For a typical instrument, so let's say something like a hemostat, how long would it take to go through the validation process? So for a validation process, the first thing uh, we're looking at is a protocol. It depends on the design of the protocol. With the hemostat, because it's a very simple device, it will be very quick. However, because there are certain procedures and steps that we have to follow, um, the validation takes about six to eight weeks to complete, which includes the cleaning validation and its subpart, which is the end processing of the validation. And that would probably be a steam sterilization validation. So it's a combined process, which takes almost two months to complete. It is faster than other validations performed in the industry, like, for example, like biocompatibility. But it is a process that takes time. We do often get calls from manufacturers that, that are coming in last minute and saying, hey, we need this in two weeks. 
we definitely cannot get that done in two mm. weeks. It does take time and it does take time to develop protocols. So it's it's important to give give at least six to eight weeks to complete for the validation. So can you kind of walk our listeners through that process? Absolutely. The first process to the validation is to write a protocol for the instrument you're validating. To write this protocol, uh, we need an ISU, right? Uh, that's how we're going to write the cleaning instructions and the sterilization or disinfection instructions following the ISU. Now, if the manufacturer doesn't have those procedures, which sometimes does happen when they're working on new product development or designing a new product, then uh, we do help them um, come up with these procedures and test them against what is commonly seen for these type of devices in the market. For cleaning validation, it's a two-step process. We have to perform a process called simulated use study. Now, this study will cycle the device instrument six times through how it's used in the healthcare facility. What I mean by that is these devices are subjected to processing six times through the use, which is contamination. So we contaminate the device of how it's used in the healthcare facility on the patient. Then it's cleaned, and then it's sterilized or disinfected. Now, all of this combined is one cycle. This is performed six times. Oh. What this does is it makes the device into a used state. So once it's ma made into a used state, then this device is used for the cleaning validation where they're contaminated with the artificial test soil and processed using worse conditions. So this simulated use cycles that we perform ahead of the cleaning is a preparatory step to make the device into use condition and not something that we're using straight out of the manufacturing line where it's shiny and beautiful and we're now we're validating like we used to do probably eight or nine years ago. Hmm. So there has been a switch and a change to how these validations are performed now. Once the cleaning validation is completed, the devices are subjected to the next phase in processing, which would be disinfection or sterilization. Every phase has its own endpoint it's looking for, so they are validated independently. We understand that this, the cleaning process from use to the end process is one in the healthcare facility, right? It's not broken down. Everything is performed back to back to back to back. However, when you're looking at a validation strategy, they are broken down into three different steps, and they are validated them separately. Cleaning has its own endpoints. They're looking for organic and you know, inorganic markers like protein, hemo, TOC. Then we're looking at disinfection, and that's looking for microbial log reduction kill on, on these devices. And then we're looking at sterilization, where we're looking at inactivation of uh, all microbial life. So depending on how your devices are categorized, that is how the, the validation will take place. So it is a long process, and that's why it's a, a long process, because there are these different steps that we have to test against. I want to talk a little bit about that cleaning verification process, specifically when you are performing the test on different types of soils. Can you explain to us what types of soils are used? and do you validate medical devices so the items are safe to handle if the IFU is followed? Yes. Thank you for that question. This is a two-part question. 
so let me answer the first one. We we do use artificial test oils composed of uh, bodily fluids like blood, serum, mucus, and other items were necessary to mimic the contamination of the device or how we would be used in the clinical procedure. For example, orthopedic devices, invasive devices that are goes through directly the bloodstream of the body or goes or cut through the body and are in in the blood area, those are contaminated with blood-based test soils. Devices like ENT, which is ear, nose, throat, they are usually mucus-based devices, so they will be contaminated with a mucus-based test soil. Now, with these test soils, we do also do combination test soils, and this is explained in guidance documents as well. Um, for example, for bronchoscopes, we know that it, it is a mucus-based test soil. However, it can, while, while it's going down, it, it can uh, breach the interior areas and you can have some blood introduced. And when that happens, then we would put some blood soil into the mucus-based test soil to simulate that procedure. So it is very important for us to understand how this device is used. And that is how we will formulate the test soil. There is no perfect test soil out there that will encompass every single scenario of how the device is used. There are ASTM and ISO standards that do go over, go over different types of soils that could be used for cleaning validations. And these are often used when determining what is the best and appropriate test soil for the validation. Now, for the second part of your question, all validations we perform on medical devices are validated so they are safe to handle if the IFE is followed. So we are using the ISU, using the worst case procedures, and assuring that if you follow these directions, it will be safe to handle at the end of the process. So it is very important that if the ISU is followed, then probability of you feeling safe that you're handling this device is fine is pretty much high. So kind of to follow up on that, can you define really what safe for handling means? Absolutely. To me, safe for handling means that the instrument or the device is free of viable organisms at the extent where I'm not worried about cross-contaminations or infections. Now, how do I feel that this is safe? I have to ensure that the proper validated procedures have been followed to ensure that. Like I said before, if I am following the ISU step-by-step, step, then at the end, I feel that this device is safe for me to use and it's also safe for the patient. And that gives me confidence that the processes are validated and it's safe for the handlers, the users, as well as the patient. So what processes or resources do you use to validate a cleaning process? Good question. Now, we do rely on the manufacturer's ISU for processing steps used in cleaning validation. We do often ask manufacturers to give us information regarding how the devices are used in a clinical setting and what parts of the devices get contaminated so we can accurately mimic the procedures and processes that are happening in healthcare setting. It is very important that we have a good relationship with not only the manufacturers, but also healthcare people. This is a, this is a three-way combination. If we only have two parties working, we are missing a whole part of the ball, which is the healthcare facility. 
So we are relying mostly on manufacturers to tell us how these devices are used and how we would be processing the healthcare facility. And that is how we're writing our protocols for, for the cleaning validation. But it is, it is something that we have thought of that it's very important that it's just not the manufacturer that is giving us information. We also need that bridge between the testing lab and the healthcare facility, manufacturer and healthcare facility. If any of those bridges are broken, then it is very difficult to write a, a successful cleaning protocol that will be executed at the end of the process, which is the healthcare facility. So we do rely on the manufacturers and also the healthcare facility to participate in this process. We also participate in standard committees uh, such as yours. Um, Amy, ASTM, ISO to ensure compliance to these validations. Uh, we do participate very heavily in all of these um, committees and organizations to ensure that the validations we are writing and uh, processing are up to regulations and how they should be performed and would be performed in a healthcare facility. So last question. And in my opinion, you know, just from listening to you explain the lengthy process and everything that really goes in to validation, I think it would be extremely difficult for any healthcare facility to try and attempt a validation. But in your opinion, can validation of medical devices be reasonably performed in a healthcare setting? Like you said, um, in my opinion, I don't think this is something that healthcare facility can take on with everything else they're doing. Validations require, like I said before, special controls, validated analytical assets that you have to have in inside the hospital, uh, culture stocks where you have to grow these culture stocks for disinfection. You have to perform replicates and that have been subjected to the same processing cycles to ensure accuracy and reproducibility of the test samples, which are your simulated use cycles, right? You have to use the special test soils and you have to cycle them to make sure that they are reproducible each time. When you change a variable in that, the results are inconsistent and you, and you can't tell how what is affecting what. And that's where these controls also play a huge part in. There are many factors that are built in the validation that need to be considered. Um, which would be very difficult for healthcare facilities to determine what is the correct approach to take if they want to take this internally. So in my opinion, I think this is not something that the healthcare facilities are ready to take on. Well, great. Thank you, Alba, for sharing with us today. Uh, thank you for your time and your insight into validation and verification. Uh, we appreciate you and we appreciate what you do. Thank you so much for having me, and it was a great topic to discuss. Again, thank you, Alpa, for speaking with us today. Isham Nation Episode 31 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, Simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code CIS. Again, the code for this episode is CIS. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, 
So when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. And as always, stay classy, Ism Nation, and we'll see you next time.